Hey, it's Brandon here and I have some big news. Seven Figure Millennials is now beyond curious. I am so excited for this new brand and I would highly encourage you to go check out episode number 140 for all of the juicy details. But as a teaser for episode 140, the central question for Seven Figure Millennials, the original show from the beginning was, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? I spent over 1,000 hours researching this question and published 139 episodes. And after all of that, I have an answer. And I put together that answer in a legit masterclass that weaves together clips from previous guests all to answer that question. So if you wanna hear my answer, the why behind Beyond Curious and the vision moving forward, go check out episode number 140. But you are here listening to this episode, which I know is amazing, but I would just highly recommend you also check out episode number 140 for the full explanation behind the rebrand. All right, here's your episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Seven Figure Millennials Podcast, where it is my job to help uncover the winning strategies that will help you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And today's guest, aka legend, is what I'm going to start calling them, is Jeff Lachey. Following a decade as an award-winning reporter with CNBC, Fox News, ABC, and NBC affiliates and the Associated Press, Jeff served as a senior communications executive with three of the world's largest PR firms and at two multi-billion dollar public companies. In 2011, he founded Lachey Communications to focus first and foremost on helping organizations and their leaders sharpen the content and delivery of communications in real-world ways that build trust and maximize influence. For more than 20 years, Jeff has coached executives at dozens of Fortune 500 and hundreds of other companies, as well as government officials, educators, authors, physicians, scientists, technologists, lawyers, athletes, and even celebrity chefs. Jeff is also known as an inspiring keynote speaker whose presentations empower audiences with a deeper understanding of how to build trust and maximize influence through the power of storytelling. And there are three big things you can expect to learn from this particular episode. One, how you can use a persuasion pyramid to tell more effective and persuasive stories. Two, how you can handle Q&A. If you're in an interview and you get tossed a question where you have no idea how to answer it, how can you answer that question and not look like an idiot? (laughs) And also turn that into an opportunity to hone in on your key messages that you want to get across. And number three, the most common mistakes people make in telling stories and how you can avoid them. We dive into that and so much more. So please enjoy my conversation with today's podcast legend, Jeff Lachey. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brandon. Great to be with you. Well, if you guys can't hear from the the two words that he just said right there, we have a real pro on with us right now. This this is somebody that has plenty and plenty of experience on the news with the broadcasting. So we'll be hearing plenty of his lovely voice moving forward. And as you guys heard from the bio, Jeff's done some really incredible things, but most of his work has been in communication and storytelling. So Jeff, I just wanted to start off from the very beginning. Why communication and storytelling? How did you get into this whole world? Well, I started as a journalist and I had a real passion for writing and for telling stories. And I actually started in print journalism. Uh, That seemed to be a forum that really allowed for greater expressiveness and in more in-depth reporting and storytelling. But uh, I I developed a real affinity for television news because of the multidimensional aspects and and the uh, opportunity to write but also to combine that with the images and with the natural sound of events that are happening uh, and the sound bites from interesting people and to be able to write and to combine those different elements in multidimensional ways, I found particularly appealing. So I started in print journalism, but then gravitated into television news and 
and spent many years doing that and, and had a wonderful run, uh, learned so much. And then after a dozen years or so, really uh, grew an affinity for business communications. I had become a business reporter at CNBC and at, at Fox Business in the early days of Fox Business Channel many years ago and began to see opportunities to work with companies and executives to tell their stories in more impactful ways than I was hearing them tell sometimes when I'd go to interview the CEO (laughs) or the CFO of these companies. They were clearly missing opportunities to really succinctly and in very compelling ways share their value proposition. And so I was encouraged by some people that I had met who were working in public relations and corporate communications to consider shifting into that realm. And the news business is a wonderful business, but it's a crazy business and you have very little control over the quality of your life and your hours. And so I also, my son was little and I saw an opportunity at that point in time to, to say, you know what, maybe there's a, a, a way that I could use some of these communication skills and improve the quality of my life, have a little bit more control and maybe even some more impact. As a journalist, you have to sit on the fence, basically. As, as in true journalism, you're very objective and you're providing different sides and different perspective. I wanted to get to, the, I got to the point where I really wanted to tell a story and take a side, share the perspective or the point of view of a client that has a great story to tell and sure. to be persuasive in those communications. That's probably a long-winded way of sharing the love for storytelling and how that then evolved into doing it in the business environment. Yeah, that's incredible. And it's funny because you call yourself a storyteller, but to me, yes, you're an incredible master storyteller. But for me and the interactions I've had with you so far, and I think the analogy I gave you last time, it's like, you're like an orchestra conductor. Cause it's like, you have so much insights into what creates a beautiful and incredible and impact driven story that will actually cause someone to take an action afterwards. And so that's one thing that I know I want to for sure dive in for everybody that's listening right now is because there's so many components, so many layers of mastery that you've, you've developed when it comes to storytelling. And I think that personally, I think storytelling is like a first principle skill. If you're going to master a few key skills, this is one of the most incredible things we can dive into. So for people that are listening to this right now, we're looking at telling better stories what are some of the ways that we can dive into any, any of the models that you would potentially use when you're bringing on clients or anything you would think would be helpful for telling better stories? Sure. And thanks for the, the kind words. I think we, people in business, people really anywhere, but in business in particular, they are very focused going into meetings and going into presentations or into media interviews. And the mindset is much more just inform and provide an update and and survive, <laughs> just get through it without embarrassing myself. And it's sure. this kind of almost a defensive or survival mindset that prevails sometimes. There are tremendous opportunities in business communications of, of all types to identify the action that you want audiences to take as a result of hearing from you. We don't want to lose sight of that. There are industries out there and they have update meetings just about every every week, if not every day. And people are always focusing on updating their colleagues and updating their customers. And, And updates are important, but I think we do lose sight of the opportunity to really persuade. And that requires identifying specifically what we want audiences to do. Mm -hmm. And even if it's just as simple as continue to support us, continue to provide us with the resources we need or to buy our products, or it can be advocacy. We want to drive those audiences to be so persuaded by what we've shared that they're going to share what we shared with them with others and advocate for us. And then once you've identified the action you want them to take, then you kind of look at who's the audience, what are their interests and concerns, and how am I going to take the messages that I want to communicate Mm -hmm. and tailor them in ways that will be addressing their pain points or their sweet spots like no one else can do, Right. and driving them to take the actions we want them to take. And in order to get them to do that, they have to draw certain conclusions about us. So when people say, Jeff, I struggle with developing key messages for my presentation or a media interview, I say, so forget the key messages terminology. Think about the conclusions you want them to draw. And so if you're clear on the action you want them to take, if you want to attract a particular guest for your podcast, Brandon, you want them to decide to do the podcast, right? 
you also then need them to conclude something about you, that you are a good interviewer, that you've got a good, interesting podcast that's going to attract a very significant audience. Those maybe are just... So those would be maybe two of your key messages that you would communicate to someone you want to come on your podcast, and you're going to do it in a non-braggadocious way. You're going to do it in a humble way, and then you might share a couple of examples of guests that you've had on the show who are well-known or very accomplished or whatever the particular case is, and those are proof points that support those key messages, those conclusions you want them to draw. And when they draw those conclusions, what are they going to do? They're going to be the guest on your show. And so there's a strong element of persuasion that I think often gets overlooked when people are preparing for communications. Yeah, that's key. And the thing, there's a few things I want to highlight there for our listeners. And the first thing I want to say is that Anytime we're communicating with another human being, it doesn't have to be just a presentation. The example that Jeff just gave was perfect. Like I view every single time I'm interacting with somebody, I should have some kind of an outcome, you know? And I think that's super powerful with what Jeff was just sharing with us is that so many of us just go blind into a conversation or creating a social media post without really thinking about the end in mind. So if I can kind of synthesize Jeff and maybe you can correct me. So it's like, what is the action you want them to take along with the conclusions you want them to come to? And once you have that, then you go back into, okay, who is the audience for this? And then what are the pain points of those audiences? And then once we've established those layers, we can then begin to construct like a multi-tiered, I don't want to say argument, but like a a structure to really get them to compel to where we want to go. Is that accurate? Or is there anything else you want to add to that? Absolutely accurate. Absolutely accurate. So I start, if you can picture a pyramid at the the top with three layers, The top layer is the action you are driving the audience to take. Mm. The middle layer are the conclusions that they need to reach, which will prompt them to take the action, to pull the trigger and do what you want them to do. But in order to get them to draw those conclusions, you need evidence. You need to share with them a few pieces of, uh, a few facts, a few statistics, uh, a few other guests you've had on the show. And to share a personal anecdote or two of your own, a personal story, a fun experience you just had with another guest on the show, if you're appealing to a new guest that you're trying to attract. That combination at the bottom rung of the pyramid, that combination of of evidentiary detail, if you will, and that sounds very complicated, but of a few key facts about your podcast, and then a few fun experiences or anecdotes you have to share, that makes for a really rich blend of storytelling which will drive them to conclude, this is really cool and I want to do this podcast and take the action you want them to take. Yeah, that's incredible. And I also, I wanted to, I know in our previous conversation, you had said something that I made sure to write down that I wanted to ask you about. I think this is the perfect time to ask about it. You had said to me, no plus feel equals do. And I think the important part of that is, is not only are you laying down the facts and the, and the stuff like that, that there's an emotional component behind all of this? Is that getting somebody to feel something? So can you maybe touch upon upon the emotional component of what we've been talking about so far? Absolutely. It's a great question. And yes, you need a few key facts, a few pieces of evidence. And that's what you need the audience to know when you're presenting to them. What are those few important points, developments, milestones you've hit that you want to get across to them? That's going to get them to know what we need them to know but it doesn't necessarily get them to feel passionate or enthusiasm about the idea like a personal anecdote or an example can that you've shared, a personal insight that you have based on having done podcasts in the past or worked mm. with other entrepreneurs. And, and so then you're comb- that is where you're sharing your passion and you're appealing to them emotionally. And the combination then of what you want them to know and how you want them to feel is much more likely to get them to do what you want them to do, to take that intended action. You know who does this great? I mean, those of us who are professional communicators like to sometimes make fun of how lawyers do or don't communicate. But the <laughs> great, we can learn a lot as communicators from the great trial lawyers out there. Trial lawyers have to go into court and build a case, a persuasive case, because they've got to persuade a judge and or jury to find in their favor. And in order to do that, they've, they've got to have evidence. And so what they're going to do, they're going to appeal to the judge and jury with the right evidence 
in the case that right. speaks to their client. However, they also want the jury and judge to be empathetic, to feel on your side. Right. So they're going to share other elements as well, how a family felt when they were wronged by uh, this company's product that failed or caused an accident or whatnot. They're going to appeal to the judge and jury emotionally as well. And then they've got the no plus the feel and the jury and judge are then more likely to find in their favor. So both of those elements are important and support drive your audiences toward the conclusions you want them to draw and in turn then to take the action you want them to take. Yeah, this is, this is so powerful. And I, I, I said, Jeff and I had a conversation earlier and I was like, why didn't I record this? But now we get to, now I get to dive in and ask all the super nerdy questions for everybody to listen into. So in my mind, and this is the, the, the super learning part of me, when I worked with Jonathan, he talked a lot about creating mental markers. So now in, in my mind, I'm seeing this pyramid, right? We have the action, we have the, the, um, conclusions, the, the conclusions, and then the evidence and the stuff below it. Now, yep. the part that I, I want to dive into here is that in marketing, when we're creating content, it's not always just one presentation where we're trying to get somebody to make a conclusion. We're creating this ecosystem of content, of podcast interviews, of of social media posts and stuff like that. And we're, we're creating, like I said, a, a, a machine, an ecosystem to get people to understand our key messages. And in, in our previous conversations, I know you kind of encourage having three, I think is the number you talk about, like three key messages that people are constantly articulating. And you can correct me if I'm wrong there. But as we're kind of, I guess, I guess the, the main question I want to start with then, can you talk to the importance of identifying more than one key messages or themes when you're communicating with people? Typically, it, three is not a magic number. It can be okay. four, but typically you don't want to have more than four key messages. I mean, it, and it may only be two. So let, let's say you are a, a pharmaceutical company and you are bringing out a new drug therapy, a new product. Now, you, number one, you want the audience to understand that there is a problem or a gap in current treatments, that the current treatments aren't meeting all of the needs of patients out there. That might be one message that you want to get across, and that speaks to, again, the need or challenge in the marketplace. A second message, then, is going to perhaps highlight that how this new product is going to meet those specific needs like no other product out there or in different or better ways. So the second message might be to differentiate your product or your service. And then a third message might be speaking to the track record and the credibility of the company bringing out the new product. Speak to the the track record of innovation. Uh, How many other really successful products have they brought out in the past? In other words, why should I believe this company? And you want to build that kind of credibility as well. So a third message might speak to the longstanding track record of this company, some of the other really great products they've brought to market. Uh, And then you've, you've got their three key messages that around which you can build a very, very compelling story. And when you talk about the ecosystem of different types of channels, through which you're communicating these messages and the different types of audiences, you've got to customize and tailor those messages in ways that will resonate in those particular channels with those particular audiences. Mm. So it's important to know. So a pharmaceutical company, for example, needs to, needs to know when they're talking to physicians, they need to understand the concerns of those physicians as they're treating their patients. But when they're talking to patients, you're going to adjust those messages sure. and prioritize them differently in ways that will resonate with the patient's state of mind, uh, the, the difficulties or challenges they have in their daily lives because of a, of a debilitating disease that they may have and appeal to them in that way and then speak to the solution. So you're, gonna, you're going to adjust or, or tailor your messages and your storytelling in different ways to suit the different audiences and to suit and, and some have got to be a lot more brief than others, depending on what the particular communication channel or venue is that you're communicating through. Yeah. So as like the entrepreneurs that are listening to this, that have, you know, they're, they're growing their companies. Would you recommend that 
it's very important that they have a communication with their entire team company-wide, or maybe if it's just a solo per, a solopreneur at the time being to kind of understand what the key messages that you are trying to convey is that kind of their next action item is like, what are the three key points that I want to convey? And then underneath of those three key points, it's like, okay, I have like a, a treasure chest of different stories and different facts and different things that can support all of those. Is that kind of what you, you would encourage people to do? Yes. Yeah, so you're talking about a company where you've got other other you've got a number of members of the team who are going to be out sharing these messages with with their target audiences, with their customers, that or just uh-huh. a, it could be a solopreneur that that wants to make sure that they they're equipped to go into different contexts and be able to share a message and still make sure that they're related. So either context, right? So I like to talk about a principle uh, of adopting and adapting. So when when smart companies or smart entrepreneurs or solopreneurs develop good three or four cornerstone messages. What they've got to do is then they want to make sure that they then adapt those messages to reflect their own voice Mm. and their own way of sharing that information with target audiences. And that's got to include some of their own personal insights and wisdom and experience, as well as just the facts. Right. And again, that gets back to that rich brand of storytelling that's, that becomes more persuasive because we're appealing to what we need them, uh, to them with what they need to know, but also how we want them to, afe- to feel emotionally. And for organizations that have a number of different spokespeople or different customer service representatives who are out there talking to the public, talking to uh, customers and to prospective customers, you want each of them to have to be equipped with those key messages and to really fully understand them, but to also adapt them to their own voices. Right. And what you're doing then is you're creating harmony. You, you've got a lot of people who are communicating the same core things that are important to get out there, but they're doing it in slightly different ways so it doesn't sound like something that's overly rehearsed or too contrived and sure. they just memorize three key messages. The last thing you want to do is do a presentation or a media interview and come across as just having rehearsed or those three key messages that you're spouting out over and over right. again in, in not very conversational ways. That does not resonate as authentic with target audiences these days. So I, I work with executives and their teams to really kind of personalize the storytelling and individualize the storytelling because that's very human and and make those messages relatable for those audiences. Uh, to, to Again, to bring them down to a human level uh, and a conversational level as opposed to just me sharing my key messages with you. Right. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think I, I pulled this from your website. I have my notes here, but you said one of the things you help people do is the development of a powerful yet flexible messaging platform. And I think that's kind of what we're discussing here, right? Is that is that you, yes, we have these core things that we want to make sure we get across, but it's still flexible to the fact that we can adopt it to the audience, to the person that is telling the story. If it's not the person that uh, was coached on it, is, is that exactly what you're talking about when you say flexible messaging platform? That's exactly it. It's adopting those key messages, whatever the company has agreed are the right messages or whatever you have determined are the right messages, but then adapting those messages to address the interests and concerns of the target audience. Mm -hmm. And that's why preparation becomes so important. And it doesn't have to take a lot of time, but I work with executives who say, you know, gosh, I wish I'd had more time to prepare and, and I just didn't really have time to get ready for this presentation. And I think maybe I missed an opportunity. And I'm thinking, yeah, you missed a big opportunity and it wouldn't have required a lot of preparation. And in fact, sometimes preparing correctly saves a whole lot of time versus at the last minute trying to memorize a bunch of slides or something that you're really not feeling that you haven't adapted to your own voice and to the needs and concerns and interests of the audience to whom you're going to be uh, sharing, with whom you'll be sharing that presentation. Yeah, that's powerful. You know, I wasn't planning on doing this, Jeff, but maybe maybe this is something that would be interested to dive into because we've talked about this before previously. And I think maybe maybe it could be, this could turn into like, I'm going to share what my messages are and you can kind of coach, coach me through it or some other people can kind of hear how this, this works. But I know we've talked in the past. It. It's like we're on the seven figure millennials podcast right now. So that the message that I'm constantly sharing is 
pursuing big financial goals with prioritizing your health, happiness, and relationships. So like that could be one angle, right? And then it's like, I also have the connection side. I have the magic connection method where I show people my process for helping them to form uh, powerful relationships. And I think the, the, the thing that you helped me uh, come to is like taking the luck out of forming relationships because so many people feel like they need to, um, you know, reach out and, and, and they, they need like an element of inter- intervention to get the, the right people. And so I have the, the seven-figure millennials and I have the, the magic connection method. So I'm just trying to make this relatable for the people that are listening right now. They're like, okay, this is what Brandon's working on. And so now what, what would be interesting to, to talk about is like, okay, so now I have these two core messages. So I'm having a podcast, somebody tosses me a question and I want to make sure I'm getting this point across. So how do I make sure that I, I still transition questions or make sure that I can lead things that may not have been set up for me to begin to talk about these things? Wow. Okay. So there, there's a lot packed into that. Yeah. 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 I do the pro. So I'm tossing it at you here. <laughs> so let me, let me start kind of with the back part of that, that question, I think, which, which gets to Q and a, right. Mm. Which gets to managing questions effectively and taking full advantage of them. You, you clearly succinctly articulated a couple of your key messages. So if you're out there sharing with an audience, you want to leave plenty of time for them to ask you questions so that you can talk to them further about this on their terms. So right. to, ens- to ensure that empathetically you're listening to hearing their pain points, hearing what they're really interested in. Now, but not all questions lead us directly back to those messages. Right. And in fact, sometimes you get questions that come from out of left field. As much as you prepared, you could never have anticipated someone was going to ask you this question. And it's very empowering, first of all, to know that you don't have to know all the answers. I I say take a load off. When I prepare uh, leaders to go on CNBC or Bloomberg to talk about their companies, and I ask them, what keeps you up at night? What's your biggest concern right now? Oftentimes, I still hear, if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to. Mm. And I say, take a, again, take a load off. You're only human. You can't know everything. Right. You get a question out of left field, or even if it's maybe a detail that maybe you should know it, but you forgot it, be human. You smile. Mm. You say, wow, that's a good question. You know what? I forget that exact detail, or I haven't looked at that lately. Let me get the right answer for you and I'll circle back with you. But meanwhile, here's what I can share or here is some additional information on that point, which is a conversational segue or I call that a bridge back to a reiteration of one or more of your key messages. It's a Mm -hmm. way to conversationally steer the discussion back to the very reason you're there in the first place, to your own agenda goals, to your own objectives, to those key messages. And you're gonna deliver them conversationally a little bit differently perhaps the second time you mention them than the first, but now you're taking advantage of that question not just to try to survive the Q&A and kind of just respond to the question, but to look for the opportunity now to lead that discussion back to those most important points, part of your agenda. Yeah. That's, and, and so, and when I was a reporter and with CNBC for a few years, I got to interview some very, very successful CEOs, analysts, economists. And I was, I didn't really understand this process very much then. I hadn't given it much thought. I just wanted a couple of good, colorful sound bites from them for the story that I was producing. But I'd sometimes get back to the station and we'd be shuttling back and forth through the tape going, God, I can't really find a very good, succinct quote or soundbite here. It was usually not because I was asking dumb questions, but because they were failing to take advantage of the opportunity to get out of the survival, responsive mindset only and into the let's take advantage of this opportunity to credibly and directly respond to the question as best we can, but then to lead that discussion back to our great story that we're here to share. So yeah. that's the Q&A part of it. And you, you talked about a couple of your messages. Give me the, the first one you said talked about being healthy and happy while you're, you're building financial success, right? Right. You, seven, you, seven figure millennials, you're pursuing big financial goals while prioritizing our health, happiness, and relationships. So yep. to clarify so, that. Which that sounds great. And that's a really good, succinct message. It's very compelling. But it still leaves me, and you know this, wanting to know what do you really mean by that? Right. 
And where you can really build the influence and persuasive nature of your communication is when you take those little pieces of that statement. What do you mean by healthy? What do you mean by happy? Right. How, how are people? I mean, there's, there are a lot of people who are working their butts off long, long hours to try to achieve that financial success and sacrificing the happiness and the health that you're mm-hmm. telling they can actually enjoy simultaneously. So for you then to, to drill down and talk about the problems, the challenges, maybe there are some compelling statistics that show that how often people striving for the kind of financial financial success that you're talking about fall short and in part because they're not so healthy or they're not so happy and not necessarily energized by the process. So you're going to drill down and you're going to speak to what do you really mean by all of that? And that's where that persuasive nature becomes even more impactful in your communications because you're going to find very human ways to adapt that content to the specific audience that you're communicating with. So if you're communicating with a group of millennials and you know that some of them are being asked to work 14, 15 hour days, they're not necessarily finding the health and happiness that you say they can actually achieve while achieving the financial success. You're going you're gonna to talk to them about this in ways that they can relate to, right? What might you share? I'll, I'll turn, turn the, the, the Q&A <laughs> around here. But what might you share with them to get them to listen? What might you share empathetically with them, showing that you understand their concerns and interests in a way that are going to draw them in? Yeah. Well, I think part of the story that I like to share is the fact that I got to work with Jonathan, my previous mentor. I worked with his company and he got uh, into this high-level mastermind called Genius Network. Cost costs $25,000 a year to attend. You have all these seven-figure entrepreneurs. So I had this opportunity to interact with people that were playing at the biggest levels and were incredibly financially successful and realized that there were some people that, that, that had, they were a different kind of successful is that not only did they have the financial success, but they also actively worked to build happiness and and incredible relationships into their uh, lives. And then there were some people that, that, you know, maybe learned the hard way. Lots of time I saw this, this case is they, they chased the financial success and realized that's not what really what it was. So that was the first story that comes to mind. But I, I love this, the, the fact that, you know, everybody listening to this right now understands seven figure millennials because we're on the podcast, but now, now they can kind of see as I take what you're teaching me here live uh, and, and begin to implement all this stuff. And then what would be so compelling, and this is the getting me to feel what you want me to feel, would be to share a story about a particular individual, perhaps, Mm, and maybe not even using that person's name, but talk specifically about the situation that he or she found himself or herself in, and then how how they made a significant change in their lives and were then able to accomplish that financial success that they were seeking all the while achieving much higher levels of happiness yeah. and, and, and good health. Yeah. Incredible. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to dive in and build that story chest out. You know, I, I practice what I preach. So I'm interviewing and I'll be applying. Uh, you, I'm sure everybody listening to this will hear me <laughs> using Jeff's stuff in the future. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, another another thing I wanted to dive in a little bit deeper, Jeff, because I know we, we highlighted it and you did a fantastic job covering, you know, what happens if you're, if you ask a question, maybe, maybe this is somebody that is, well, let me back up. So, so you're asked a question and you don't know the answer to it and you have a model specifically and it's called the QRM model. So, so now that we've kind of given a high level overview of it, can you walk us through what QRM stands for so somebody can have like an actual model in their head about how to handle uh, a question that may be a little bit difficult or if they want to pivot a question to get it to the message they're trying to convey? Sure. It's funny to hear you call it QRM. And I, I know I've referred to it as that periodically. It's not a real catchy acronym. I, <laughs> the, only thing I've, the only thing I've been able to come up with over the years of using it is, you know, don't, don't squirm, quirm. But that really isn't, uh, you know. I, what is a quirm? Hopefully a we got one question. laugh out there. I, I have no idea what a quirm is. It doesn't <laughs> sound very attractive, but it's, it's better if I, it, you know, if I could show you the model, if you were looking at a screen and you were looking, I, I would write the letter Q in red to say, okay, you get what might, what some might seem, uh, what some might see as a tough question or a challenging question or a question out of left field. So I'll put that in red. And then next to that, I'll put a big R for response because to keep our credibility intact, to have audiences continue to listen to us, 
when we're managing questions with an audience, we've got to at least acknowledge the question or respond to the question to the best of our ability. We all know what it's like. We've just gone through a, a campaign and election season, and we've seen still too many examples out there of politicians getting asked by journalists questions and not answering the questions yeah. correctly, dodging the questions. And that was something that drove me crazy when I was a journalist, dodging the questions and going right to their key messages. And I don't know about you, Brandon, but when I hear or see that happen, I'm going to turn the channel. I don't even want oh, yeah. to hear what else. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle that politician's on or a business leader. If they're not willing to at least address or acknowledge questions that folks have a right to ask and that might be on people's minds, then again, to me, they're not worth listening to. So the, the Q is the question. The R is the next stop where we respond directly to the best of our ability to a question. Again, it doesn't mean we have to know the answer. I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, what do we do if we don't know the answer? I like to say far better to say, I don't know, than to spend five or 10 minutes trying to BS your way through the answer and completely undermine your credibility. It's better to fess up, say, you know what? That's not something that I know the answer to, but I'll get back to you on that. But, and then there's the bridge. Right. What I do know, or what I am here to talk about today is, and that brings you back to your key message. Mm -hmm. What unfortunately happens is when people are asked, to speculate uh, sometimes. So an audience member might say, Brandon, how big is this audience going to be for your podcast after year one? Mm -hmm. You might have a goal in mind and you might be comfortable saying, here's my goal and here's why I think it's realistic. But I would counsel you not to put a stake in the ground and give a specific number because there are a lot of variables, a lot of things that could happen between sure. now and then. So you're not going to make a promise that you're going to hit that number. And in fact, some questions are speculative and people might say, well, suppose this doesn't work out. Suppose the latest book you've written or suppose the new product you're introducing or whatever it is doesn't work out. You don't want to spend your time in a discussion like this talking about what if I fail you're going to, you want to, you want to turn that question around into an opportunity to say, look, I don't think that's going to happen. Let me tell you why I'm really confident or optimistic about the future of this product yeah. or this podcast, which brings you back to your key messages, right? Those are the engine of growth in a sense for your business. And, and so we're taking advantage of even seemingly challenging questions and turning them into opportunities, answering them on our terms. But now, there are also some situations where you may get asked a question and there may be details that you know, but you're not comfortable sharing. And this happens with large companies, mm. publicly held companies that I work with. They often get asked questions by analysts or journalists that... Uh, are questions about details that they are not at liberty to reveal. And they're public sure. companies. They have to be very careful. If they haven't disclosed it publicly, they, they really can't say it yet to this one specific audience. So you simply, you simply explain why it is. You still are not going to say, sorry, no comment, and wait for the next question. Right. Because that doesn't look good. But you're going to say, you know what? That's a question that I am not at liberty to reveal, to, to talk about in greater detail right now. Clearly, you understand we're a public company. We've got to be careful about that. Or it could be a solopreneur or you know a small company that's asked about a proprietary uh, software that they're using or a new product that they're getting ready to bring to market, but they haven't announced the details yet. You simply explain why it is that you're not at liberty to share that de those details yet but then bridge to what you can talk about. And you can say, but let me tell you why we're really optimistic that this new app or this new software is going to be really helpful to companies out there. And it brings you away from the details that you can't share. And you've explained why you're not sharing them. But now it brings you over to what you can share about the development of that new product or what you think it's going to help your customers accomplish the benefits that they're going to realize from using it. And you've now turned what is kind of maybe an uncomfortable question for some into a tremendous opportunity to talk more about those key messages that you want to drive home with the audience. Does that make so, sense? 
So, so powerful. And I, I hope everybody listening to this understands the power of this process. Cause it's like, you don't have to be a deer in headlights anymore. If you're tossed something that's crazy, because it's like, if you have this framework in place, you can calmly address the, the question with the response. And then I, I don't, maybe this could be just a brain fart. Did we talk about the M specifically is message um, is, is, the, is the M. So question. I did not. You did. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, so question, response, message, and then the whole, I guess, I guess, I mean, is this accurate to say that this is the bridging model is what you call it? Not the QRM model, but rather a bridging model. It is the bridging model that I use. And I, it's a model I came up with when I left the news business and I started working with companies and, and leaders to get messages across, even in the face of some very challenging questions. And then what I found is, as I started doing a lot more presentation coaching with executives as well, speech coaching, presentation, and executive presence coaching when they're presenting to their boards or whatnot, I found this model came in really handy and, and is just as effective in those kinds of situations as well. So it's not just for media interviews. It's, I have found this to be in, incredibly helpful in almost any kind of Q&A oh, yeah. environment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so powerful. And like, again, for the audience listening, listening, it's like one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm getting on other podcasts to promote this show. And so, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, then you're looking at promoting a product or service that you have, you're getting on podcasts or you're doing YouTube collaborations or something. It, once you can apply this model, now you don't have to worry about if the um, interviewer is going to tee you up perfectly to ask you the question. So now, you know, if you have a model like this, that they can ask you a question, you can respond to it without losing the credibility of the audience and still transition it into the, the place that you're trying to get them to take action for. That's exactly right. It is, it's so empowering because it keeps you in the driver's seat. You're the expert and kind of the educator and to some extent the editor as well. Three E words, expert, educator, editor. And if you go in with that, in that frame of mind, you're going to be looking for those opportunities to continue to lead the discussion and not to get derailed by questions that don't move us in the right direction or that aren't necessarily productive. Yeah. And doing it in an authentic way. That's the, that's the part I love about this so much is because that's it's it. like, you know, you could, like you said, you could, you could ask a question and your response could be like, I don't want to talk about that right now. And, and then go to your message. And technically you would be following the model, but you're going to piss people off. That's right, exactly <laughs> so, right. so, so doing it in an eloquent way, I'm sure is a, is something that takes years to master, but you know, it's still very reassuring for somebody to know that there's something like this out there. So I wanted to make sure that we, we discussed that, which is very powerful. Um, it, it, I was just going to say, it's kind of fun actually, if you, I'm a little bit of a political news junkie. So I watch sometimes on weekends, I watch the face the nation or some of the other shows that are on uh, the weekends and, and where they have on politicians, uh, senior level uh, administration spokespeople. And, and I watch to see how effectively they're doing this. And you can pick out as you start to think about this stuff, it's kind of fun almost. How long yeah. my, my family says, get over it, dude. It's really not that fun, but, but, but it's kind of fun to see who's doing this really well. And who, who's, who's not taking advantage of the opportunities yeah. or who are those people doing what the media call pivoting again, just dodging the question and going right to their message, leaving the reporter there to either follow up or to push harder and then making themselves as a result of that, not look very credible uh, or certainly not willing to answer questions that uh, are grounded in, in reason. I mean, generally journalists ask tough questions. They want to get at the truth. Uh, so you can expect they're going to ask those tough questions, but we've got to be prepared to respond to those questions, uh, understand where they're coming from. Why are they asking those kinds of questions? And this is with any audience, not just, not just speaking to journalists. And when we have that sense of things, it really is empowering then when we can understand, okay, we've got to acknowledge, respond credibly, but now there's an opportunity to lead that discussion. So if you mentioned the, the question, response, message, QRM, if you could picture this, if I was writing on a whiteboard, I'm still old school and I love uh, whiteboards, you know, and I'm in conference rooms with teams, I would circle the M over and over again with a big O for opportunity. And that's where opportunities are either gained or missed in interview situations or any Q&A situation. Yeah, I love this. And and the cool thing about this podcast and everybody listening to you and for, for me selfishly is that every single person I get to talk to, you give a new lens that, that you can now view things. So now you can put on the, the Jeff Lachey lens and as you're watching TV, as you're you're checking out your, your news feed, you can learn mis like 
so, oh, like that, you're right. Huge missed opportunity. How could I have done that better? Or if I'm in this situation, how can I learn from it? So super, super powerful. Um, speaking of, you know, seeing some people kind of blunder, I, I was really curious to ask you if, if you can maybe share some of the most common mistakes that you hear or see people making in storytelling and communication and share with us how we could begin to avoid those. Wow. Okay. So boy, where to, where to start, but I'll, 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 I'll mention a few. And I think it really begins with the failure to adequately prepare. Sure. It's really simple and it is kind of marketing one-on-one in a way it's knowing the audience what's on their mind. What are mm-hmm. they interested in? What are they concerned about? What's their attitude toward the subject that I'm going to be addressing? It doesn't take long to do that. And if you're completely unfamiliar with the audience, you ought to talk to someone who's more familiar with this particular audience and they can fill you in in five or 10 minutes. And that just kind of gives you a sense of what's on their mind because what you want to do as a storyteller is go in and very early on address their concerns empathetically, Mm -hmm. acknowledge what they're worried about, what they're thinking about or what they're most interested in. I know you all, if you're talking to a group of millennials, I know that so many of you are interested in achieving financial success and achieving along the way the kind of health and happiness we all want to enjoy, right? That might be something based on your area of focus, Brandon, that you might share with them. And so you know that going in that this particular audience has those interests and concerns. That's going to help you then through your very human discussion and storytelling, share your messages in ways that you know, are appealing to them, both emotionally and with the kinds of facts, with the specific pieces of evidence or proof points that are most meaningful to them. Because you can have a lot of different facts or proof points. You can't include them all in a relatively short presentation or story. But So what you want to do is cherry pick those the right points that you know are going to be most resonant with that particular audience. Mm. So I see people fail to adequately prepare. So they don't go in with two or three clear messages. They kind of go in winging it, not sure what the audience is going to ask them. So they haven't prepared for Q&A at all. I think it's important. That's an important part of preparation is thinking through what questions is, is this audience likely to ask me during the presentation or afterwards? And how can I respond credibly and what are the messages that I can then bridge to? How do I take advantage of that opportunity? Yeah. Other, other mistakes that I see are when people are, are failure to practice aloud. Mm. There is no substituting substitute for practicing ones, whether it's a formal presentation with slides or a 10-minute discussion, and you're simply going to have a couple of talking points in front of you and, and share those. Boy, I am telling you, by practicing aloud two or three times, four times beforehand, going through it is so empowering. What it, Scientifically, the science shows this. I won't try to dive into that. I'm not a scientist anyway. I'd be outside my realm of expertise, but it embeds it in our, each time we, we talk it through, it embeds it more deeply, makes it more intuitive and second nature. And then what that does is when we really own the story, Brandon, it frees us up then to to physically demonstrate more passion and conviction as we're sharing those points and to add that kind of energy and flavor and variation of tone and emphasis in our voice that's going to be far more compelling. And we want the delivery of great content to be commensurate with the great content. So if we've got great messages, that's really important. I'm still a believer that content is king, Mm -hmm. but you want your delivery to also be very compelling so that it's right up there commensurate with the high quality content you're, you're sharing. And that's a, a tremendous winning opportunity, persuasive, persuade, uh, an opportunity of persuasion yeah. to, get, to get the audience, to move the audience, to do what we want them to do. And, and just to give some people listening right now some action items, if you're thinking, okay, I don't have any presentations lined up or I'm not going to be on a podcast anytime soon or something along those lines. <clears throat> One of the things that I did, and it was funny because I was on a podcast interview the other day and they were like, man, you must, you must have been doing this for years. And I'm not trying to say that to sound egotistical, but, but one of the things that Jules, uh, our, our mutual connection, had required or encouraged me to do was to do a Facebook Live once a day. 
And so I did a Facebook live once every single day. And it's like, yeah, if you do something every single day, if you're practicing out loud, if you learn how to prepare, if you're learning what your audience is over and over and over again, don't wait for an opportunity to be presented on to you to be on a podcast or something like that. If you can initiate it on your own and start getting these repetitions in, man, you're just going to show up so much so much stronger. So that's an action item of somebody's interested in learning how to start honing in their storytelling. Do a Facebook do live once a day. <laughs> do it. That's, that is absolutely. And let me ask you, have you watched or listened to any of those recordings back? Yes, 100%. And it's funny because my, my goal, I've always said for the longest time, my goal is to be embarrassed by myself six months ago. And it's like, I'm launching this podcast, people listening to this right now. My goal is to, unfortunately, Jeff, Jeff was one of the earlier guests. And so I will be a much better interviewer in the future. So my goal is to listen to this recording one day and be like, man, I could have done so much better. But the thing that you can't do is you can't let it hold you back. And I'm sure you've seen that too, Jeff. It's like so many people get these narratives in their head. It's like, oh, I'll wait till I get it. I'll wait till all my ducks are in the row. But then it's like you missed that all that time when you could have been practicing and could have been honing your craft from the very beginning. That's exactly. And you know, we, we don't need to look any farther than the, than the Zoom rooms and the other virtual yeah. platforms we're using these days to see evidence of people who have prepared well and to see evidence of people who haven't, who haven't really thought through who's the audience, what are the key messages, and how am I going to present that information in compelling ways? How am I going to reach through that screen and really compel them to keep listening and, and watching and at the end of the day persuade them to do what I want them to do? And, yeah. and it's, it's, it doesn't require a lot of preparation and it's so easy to record ourselves in practice and play it back, whether you're using Zoom, you're using the iPhone, an iPad, a tablet, a laptop. There's so many ways we can record ourselves for a few minutes of, at a time and watch it back and listen to it and see, wow, are we umming and eyeing a lot or the word like or, you know, uh, it, it's just remarkable the level, the successful executives I've worked with who are umming and eyeing, especially in the virtual platforms. And oftentimes they haven't practiced aloud enough and they're not even aware they're doing it. But by playing ourselves back, recording ourselves, what you were just talking about, there's tremendous amount of self-realization and awareness that oh, yeah. goes on. I will tell you, it took me a long time in, in the television news world to learn to get comfortable on camera. I was very stiff and uncomfortable for a few years. And it took a lot of coming home and having my wife pop the, yes, the VHS tape in the VCR <laughs> machine so that we could watch the air checks back. And I wanted to crawl under the sofa, if not pack my bags and leave home some of those days because I, I could just see I was so stiff and uncomfortable. It took me a long time to learn to relax looking into a camera, but imagining the real people out there listening sure. and staying focused on the story that I was telling as opposed to how I was looking coming across yeah. very stiff and uncomfortable. Well, so that, that, I mean, that, that just makes me want to ask then how do you do that? Like, like, so if, if I'm doing a Facebook live, if I'm doing a webinar where I don't get to see the people and all it does is it shows 300 people live or 500 people live. And all it is, is me staring into the little green, green light on my camera. What are some tips that somebody can have to look alive and, you know, act like they're actually talking to some people? A couple things I do. First and foremost, I do try to move people's images up as close to the camera as I possibly ah. can to that little green light. I'll show you. I'm going to pull. Uh, clearly, I didn't know you were going to ask this question, but I'm going to I'm going to show you a little <laughs> uh, a little a little hack uh, that that I have, and that is I have cut out pictures and just put it on cardboard of real people with smiling faces out of magazines. And what I will do sometimes is I if if I'm in if I'm going to be working in a virtual platform where it's hard to see the, the video boxes of folks, I will tape this up right above the camera. That's awesome. To re remind me to look up and engage with the real people who are yeah. on the call. It's just, it's something that's helped me. Wow. I've shared this with, with, with some of my clients that we've laughed about it, but they, many of them are actually doing this. It's not a perfect world. And, and in fact, you may be using two monitors. I don't know if you are or not. I, do, I typically do use two because if I'm presenting, I've got slides and I violate my own principle of keeping, retaining that eye contact as much as possible at or near the camera sometimes because I need to glance at the slide, but I typically know the content well enough so that the vast majority of time I'm looking at or near the camera and not yeah. off to the side at slides. 
The another tip is keep any notes up on like I'm at a standing desk now, but keep any notes up pretty high on the keyboard if you're going to refer to notes so that you just glance down. I'm not looking that far away from the camera now, whereas if I had notes down here or off to the side, every time I look away, I'm disengaging from the audience and the audience feels that. And, and I think in the virtual platforms, we've got to work even a little bit harder to be leaning forward and again, reaching through that screen and really drawing them in with good energy in our voice, good enthusiasm, and, and a little bit of gesturing is fine too, but they've got to feel you as well as hear you. Yeah, that's so key. And like another thing that I do right now, like my setup is I have Jeff on the left and I have my notes on the right. So you can split your screen too. So even if you don't want to use paper notes, you can actually just glance to one half of your computer screen. So that's another way that somebody could do that. And and just to highlight, I, I'm going to steal that, by the way, I'm for sure going to be starting to tape some some people up above my <laughs> my um, my camera. But just to highlight how important this is, and I don't, I could be wrong. But I'm pretty sure iPhone pushed an update a while ago where it would use AI because if you, you know, if you're FaceTiming somebody, if you're looking at the person on your screen, you're obviously not looking at the camera. And so I'm pretty sure there was an update where they literally used AI to make it look like you were making eye contact with a person. That's like, great. That, that's so important that, that like when you're presenting with somebody that you're staring into the camera and connecting with somebody instead of you know, the picture of yourself on the screen. So yeah, super, super important. Exactly. And, and again, it's not a perfect world. It's going to get better. And that's an innovation I'm not familiar with. I'm going to look into that because, <clears throat> excuse me, I would welcome something like that because I feel bad even if I'm glancing away just for a second yeah. or two, disengaging from the audience. I'm so used to doing my, my training sessions, my coaching sessions in person with individuals or groups being in the same room with them. And there's a certain chemistry that happens and we're, we're trying to continue to find ways to replicate that, that great chemistry in the virtual platform. I'm not sure we're, we're totally there yet, but it's getting better and better. And I, I got to believe we're going to see some tremendous innovation oh, yeah. in the next couple of years that, you know, I, I'm beginning to wonder if I'm really ever going to be traveling much again. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, we're not. There is no such thing as going back to normal. There is a new normal and we're going to start to see these innovations coming out. And I know I've talked to incredible thought leaders in the space and they're like, yeah, this is not going, this virtual events are not going anywhere. It's going to be hybrids from now on. It's like, yeah. we'll have some in-person events, but we're still keeping the virtual events because they've been proven, especially from marketing perspective, you have so much more data on how you can interact with people. And I think, I think, I don't know, Jeff, if you were on the TFL presentation with with uh, um, Richard Rossi, I think it was, where he was talking about splitting people based on yes. their experience. Oh, it was absolutely incredible. But it is anyways, incredible. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to ask you one more main thing, and then we can kind of start to wrap up here because I think this is really important and another common mistake. But I was on your site doing my research, and I saw you put together a video on this disease that people have called upspeak. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. so if, if I, I could, haven't called it a disease, <laughs> let's, let's be clear. Be, but <laughs> that was my enunciation is is the is the uh, the the disease part. But can you share what upspeak is? why it's important and how people can avoid it. Sure. So, you know, and I wish I could do it comedically like a, a few people I know can, but, sure. uh, but when I talk about it, you'll probably recognize you and your audience may recognize what I'm, what I'm talking about. Upspeak is ending important points or sentences in the upper register of your voice. So I can tell you, Brandon, that I'm really glad today to be part of this great podcast that you've launched. And I'm so happy that you selected me as a guest. Or I could say, Brandon, I'm really happy that you've launched this podcast. And now I'm, I'm so happy to be a guest today. And <laughs> so you could be thinking that actually sounds like a question right. rather than a, an emphatic comment and it sometimes leaves audiences wondering, eh, you, maybe you did or maybe you didn't. I mean, right. or maybe you really are happy or maybe not. There's a level of uncertainty and some credibility undermining that occurs when we hear people, sometimes very successful people saying, if I say something like, so if I'm, if I'm a leader and I'm addressing my national sales force and I were to come out and, and let's say I'm doing this in Upspeak. I'm just going to make this stuff up. And I'm going to say, you guys all should be really proud because you had a really good year. And I think as we look at the next quarter, that's going to be an even better quarter. 
And then if we look at the year ahead, boy, do I see great things. Now, if you think about that and you start to listen for it, you're probably going to hear a lot of people speaking that way. Right. But it lacks a level of authority and conviction and confidence. Instead, if I were to say, boy, you all should be tremendously proud of the success you've had this year. In fact, looking at the next quarter, we're confident that we're going to do even better. And as I look at the year ahead, boy, I couldn't be more optimistic about what the future has in store for us. I'm bringing it back down and ending points in the lower register of my voice, which gives them greater authority. And I will tell you, I've gotten calls from chief HR officers of of large companies, different parts of the country, who are concerned that this upspeak which has been around for a long time, but it has grown. It's been adopted by many people out there. And they're concerned that a person presenting to the company's board or to senior level executives is not going to come across as confident and accomplished and authoritative as they might if they weren't using the upspeak. So I actually have had engagements with executives where we've, that has been one of the key areas of focus to get them to begin to make their points in more authoritative, emphatic ways that leave no question as to what they really think about something. Yeah. And really just putting a period at the end is so much more powerful. That's a great, you just said it in five seconds, what I spent, you know, four minutes talking about. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) It's important. It's something I'm still working on too. And concluding sentences with a period and then just shutting up afterwards. Because I feel like lots of times we want to add or explain and then it just ends up being a run on sentence. And then it just kind of like a dot, dot, dot. And that's another thing that I feel like is kind of related to upspeak that that's important to to end sentences appropriately. Yep. Agreed. Um, so, so Jeff, I know we're getting kind of up on time here. So I did just kind of want to ask if, if people are, you know, really interested in starting, wanted to dive more into storytelling and they're interested in leveraging this to help grow their business, you know, whenever they're communicating on podcasts or webinars or social media videos, whatever it is, if people could kind of only take away just one message or a, a few key points uh, from this podcast, what, what are some parting pieces of advice you'd give people? Know your audience understand what they're concerned about, listen to them, empathetically address those concerns early in your communications, early in your storytelling, have those two or three key messages clearly identified going in. If you've got nothing else, those you can, you can even just on the fly build your storytelling around. And again, those messages are synonymous with the conclusions that we want to drive home with them. We want them to reach, which will prompt them to do what we want them to do. And then what are those proof points? What are those pieces of evidence? What are those examples that we can cite and our own personal experiences that really substantiate those key messages, those conclusions we want them to reach? Because that's how we build a persuasive case. It takes a little bit of preparation and then practice telling that story allowed. And my God, will you find that that it gets easier and easier and becomes more and more intuitive and second nature. I, I think about when I learned to drive a car, I learned on a stick shift. And it was really hard to balance the stick shift and the use of the clutch and, and all of that. And, and for years and years and years, decades, I did not drive a stick shift. But that became so embedded in my mind when my wife and I went to Italy a number of years ago and rented a little Fiat there, and it was a stick shift. And sure enough, it took a moment or two to get reacclimated, but it was so embedded and so natural still to me that we cruised around Italy in this little Fiat stick shift, and I was having a a blast driving the thing. It was a lot of fun. And it came back to me so quickly because I had done it so much before. It had become intuitive. So get your storytelling intuitive. Feel it. Adapt it to your own voice. Share your own personal stories and observations along the way. And you'll get folks to to know what you want them to know, to feel what you want them to feel. And that's going to make it much more likely that they're going to do what you want them to do. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think you master all this stuff and then it's going to look like you're winging it, but you really have just mastered everything and and putting the point. So 
absolutely incredible. Thank you for sharing all these incredible actionable advice that we can take. Uh, Jeff, just one last question. Where can people find out more about what you're up to and, and maybe learn a little bit more about the, the, the stuff that you're doing today with communication and storytelling? Sure. Thank you very much. Uh, LacheyCommunications.com is my web address. Uh, and that is Lachey. It's L-E-S-H-A-Y communications with an S dot com. You can find lots of information there. I welcome emails. If anybody wants to uh, chat, uh, learn a little bit more about the services that I offer, you can reach me directly at Jeff at Lachey, L-E-S-H-A-Y communications dot com. And I will respond quickly. I love to get emails from folks uh, and talk about the possibilities. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'll make sure that all that goes up in the show notes so people can have access to that if you're driving or listening. But thank you so much, Jeff. This has been absolutely incredible. I know the audience has taken away so many incredible things that they're going to begin to implement. And so thanks so much for coming and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much, Brandon. My pleasure. Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show. And if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week just researching a guest on the show. And then there's the time that's spent recording the show, the intro, reaching out to new guests, and of course, all the editing, publishing, promoting that my amazing wife and high school sweetheart, Leah, helps me to manage. So all that to say, there's a lot that goes on just to get to the point where you listen to this episode. So if you appreciate the content and have 10, five to 10 seconds to spare, it would help a ton if you could leave a quick rating on the show. Extra credit if you choose to leave a review, but just tapping whatever stars you feel the show deserves helps a ton and it takes so little time. So whether you choose to do that or not, I so appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon.